This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Convictions, market analysis and asset allocation views. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Thierry Onkona. I'm uh, uh, deputy head of the institutional business at uh, Amundi, and I'm uh, on the call with Estelle Ménard from uh, CPR, with Casper Hellengren from uh, Amundi, and Sylvia, Sylvain Brouillard from the passive team of uh, Amundi. Um, the topic today is European equity. Uh, June has been a month of consolidation for equity values in a context of uh, positive economic data showing a faster than expected recovery in all major economies. It seems fair to say that the phase of collapse of activity has been shorter than generally expected. This said, the authentic debate concerns the longer-term economic repercussions of a pandemic, uh, which is far to be controlled, as shown by the latest news coming from unfortunately, from the from the US. This faster-than-expected economic recovery, largely impulsed by the massive and coordinated uh, central bank action, has been translated into a very strong rebound of equity indexes and especially European indexes. Outperformance of Europe started back in April with an acceleration in May and June, and then this consolidation uh, phase um, uh, that we are experiencing in uh, in June and uh, and uh, early July. Within European equities, there is still a record valuation premium attached to stocks that represent higher quality non-cyclical growth, notably the luxury sector. To give a, to give an example, however, with the revival of higher risk assets since mid-May, the strongest outperformance is being delivered by cyclical growth stocks. A valuation of the later, the cyclical growth stocks, are still far from record level in almost all cases based on current EPS assumptions. Of course, we do not minimize and we do not want to minimize the uncertainties linked to the current situation, including uh, the se- uh, second wave of uh, of pandemic of the COVID-19 or the political risk uh, rise in the US. These are uh, uh, external developments that we do not uh, minimize. Nevertheless, we believe that there is a case for European equities. And today's topic is to share with you this uh, conviction. Casper, please, I give you the floor. Uh, Is it really time for European equities today? Uh, Thank you, Thierry. Yes, I I think it is. Uh, Let me put this into context. As you said, the health crisis has been and still is significant. So the backdrop for this call is uh, a overall cautious one. Investors need to be aware that the cycle remains uh, fragile and could be derailed. Um, But within that, I think there are relative value opportunities. And I think Europe is one of these. Uh, that could benefit from the uh, defreezing of the economic cycle. So, so allow me to elaborate a little bit on this. And I think there's there's five points I want to highlight. So the first one is around the pandemic. So the pandemic appears to be under control in Europe. Early evidence points to the fact that the confinement has has worked, and that the deconfinement in most places in Europe is successful 
with a subsequent recovery in demand. So clearly there's a lot of uncertainty attached to this. And as you said, Thierry, in your introduction, the trend in some places like the US, but also India and Brazil do look very different. But I think there is early evidence that the um, uh, pandemic appears under control in Europe. So this is point number one. Point number two is the fact that the cyclical recovery is underway. I think there's very clear signs that the economic recovery is visible in the PMIs, we see it in the high frequency data. So according to our estimates, Europe would suffer very significantly uh, should witness the highest regional growth uh, in 2021. And I think a lot of the bad news uh, in 2020 have already been priced into the market. I think it's important to note here that Europe is a very cyclical market relative to other regions. So it, uh, it hurts more in a downturn, and I think Europe benefits more in a recovery. Um, when you look at the earnings estimates for European companies, they are actually starting to turn around. So clearly the Q2 earnings estimates were deeply cut, but we've seen on the pre-announcements already some signs of improvements. So the earnings estimates are also starting to turn. Again, on point number two, I think leading uh, the, the charge on the cyclical recovery, which we believe is underway. I think the third point is around the, the policy response, and this is very significant. So the, the policy response from monetary and fiscal authorities has been very significant. The strong uh, monetary response is perhaps less surprising. This is what we have seen on several occasions since the great financial crisis. What is perhaps more surprising has been the very strong fiscal response. This is significant because after years of austerity in Europe, which have put a dampen of growth, uh, we now see a very, very significant uh, fiscal stimulus. Uh, which, given the state of the economy, we actually believe would have a, a significant multiplier. So I think what has happened is that the Eurozone has really learned its lesson from the great financial crisis, and, and the approach to this crisis is different. Uh, in a sense, the, the, uh, the era of fiscal austerity seems to be over. And uh, this stimulus that is currently being deployed is uh, multiples higher than that of the great financial crisis and also very high in, in a uh, comparison with, with the other regions globally. For, uh, point number four is about geopolitical risk. So if you were an investor in, in Europe over the last uh, many years, you, you will be very familiar with um, the constant back and forth of, of political risk in Europe, and we are by no means calling an end to this, but sometimes it's about the direction of the trend. And here we see that geopolitical risk appears to be easing in Europe relative to other regions. Uh, while not a done deal yet, I think the German backing for the recovery funds and the renewed unity is very significant. Um, the Eurozone breakup, I think, for now is effectively off the table. 
Um, so as we see a increasingly strong cohesive effort in Europe, um, what we see in the U.S. is an election year and a Trump agenda, which is very uncertain. So that leads me to the, the fifth and, and final point, which is which is one of valuation, because I think this is this is very important. And clearly, after the the rally in risk assets, uh, Thierry, which you also pointed to, um, absolute bargains are hard to come by in this market. Um, but Europe is looking relatively cheap, and I think especially relative to other regions, especially relative to the U.S. Now, Europe is typically cheaper um, relative to the U.S. Uh, for reasons such as sector differences. So, you know, the U.S. have a higher weight on, on technology and defensives, which have a higher uh, multiple. But even adjusting for this, uh, Europe looks attractive. So we are well beyond uh, one standard deviation relative to history. So I think as we look uh, forward, Rather than backwards, I think the case for European equities to outperform, uh, given the cyclical backdrop, is quite strong. So I'll, I'll perhaps just pause here, uh, Thierry. Yeah, thank you very much, Casper. It's very clear. So we are in a sort of a sweet spot for European equities based on uh, the four points that you have uh, been extremely clearly uh, exposing. Which drives me to the next question. Uh, is it a time for active stock picking in this context? So I think what we've seen in this year is a market which is extremely volatile and with very, very high uh, dispersion. And, and, and the way I, I see it, this is fertile ground for, for active stock picking. So yes, I think the time is for, for, for stock picking. So we, we know that the volatility of share prices are much, much higher than the volatility of underlying asset values. I, I simply put, I mean, stock prices move a lot more than the underlying they represent. And, and I mean, periods of very high volatility uh, does provide opportunity for, 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 for active investors. And I mean, this crisis is, is no exception. As we, we look into what we saw in the month of March, when a lot of investors went on autopilot and, and to sell risky assets, I think we saw um, significant dislocation. Um, even in, in, in companies and, and regions that were less affected. Um, in addition, we have a very high valuation dispersion in a historical context. So this means that the difference between uh, the cheap companies and the expensive companies are, are close to all-time high. And I think this also creates great uh, opportunities to find relative value. So it's really the combination of those two, the, the, the very high volatility, uh, as well as the valuation dispersion. So, you know, Thierry, we have a team of analysts and PMs that uh, constantly uh, scout uh, the regions for, for companies uh, to understand their, their fundamentals, um, their, their position, and their underlying intrinsic value. And I think when when, when we have market environments like we do now, there, there are significant opportunities uh, to, to act. Overall, I'd say we have, a, we have a preference for companies with a strong balance sheet, given, given the uncertain market outlook and non-disrupted business models. But yes, there, there are good opportunities. Okay. I think you've touched the volatility uh, issue uh, in, uh, in your comment. Um, 
and the valuation uh, issue. If we want to play uh, the recovery in uh, Europe, and I think what we are trying to show today is how to position our expertise on two axes, uh, the axis of the, reco the recovery and the axis of the risk appetite of, of our clients, and position our uh, expertise on those two axes. Uh, if, if we believe that recovery will be stronger than expected, what, what are the expertise that you would point uh, out? Casper, please. So I think um, well, we, we, can, we can put a beta on this and then say if you have a, a, a lower beta, you have a lower risk. And if you have a higher beta, you have a higher uh, risk, a higher exposure to this cyclical recovery. And I think if you have a, um, a higher a beta appetite, uh, I think that there's two things that really stand out to me um, which are extremely attractive. I think the, the, the one is, is value. So, so value has never been this cheap relative to, to growth. Uh, there, there are a number of reasons for this. We have extraordinary low bond yields, uh, which have caused a re-rating of growth assets. Uh, growth is scarce, so investors are willing to pay a premium for growth. And there are some sectors within the value camp um, that are having a hard time, uh, media, retail, autos, and banks. However, I think even understanding those dynamics, the current situation is extreme. So I think that the, the value opportunity is quite significant. Um, value is a, is a pro-cyclical uh, style, and I think there's a good room for this to do well. Um, I think for the multi-year underperformance, which is what we have seen, for that, for that trend to truly reverse, we need uh, stronger PMIs and stronger bond yields. But I think for, for this to perform well as a tactical call, I think we already have all the ingredients. The, the, the other expertise perhaps I could highlight um, would be small caps. So I think strategically, I think small caps are very interesting all the time. But I think tactically, this, the case now is, is, is very strong. So, so small caps are typically uh, more cyclical and more domestic. And let me give you some data here. Whereas the mega caps in Europe uh, typically have one third of their sales uh, domestically in Europe. So it, it's, it's the minority. Uh, and, and so most of what they do, two thirds is outside of Europe. For, for the small caps, it's the other way around. So given that what we are calling for here is a strong domestic recovery, um, I think you get a much, much higher exposure to that by a small cap. Um, so, so I would say small cap and value are two expertises that I think are particularly interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Casper, for sharing your conviction on, on that. I will move now to, to Estelle. Estelle is a member of uh, the thematic team of uh, CPR. And uh, we, we know that uh, in the recent history, flows have moved from uh, mainstream uh, investing into thematic investing. And I would like uh, Estelle to share with us um, what she thinks about uh, the behavior of thematic investing within this um, tactical call that we are doing on uh, European, uh, European equity. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Thierry. Um, let's perhaps come back on the success of thematic investing. 
thematic investing is among the few, the few categories that remain popular with investors during the crisis. Um, we saw 26 billion euros inflows in Europe year to date. And it is the second best category behind responsible investment. So this success can be explained by several factors. The first one, thematic investing is identified as a long-term trend or long-term trends that offer permanent sources of growth. And interest in themes goes far beyond the crisis episode we are experiencing. And I will say that this sanitary crisis has given the opportunity for investors to find a good entry point to invest in these long-term trends. That is the first and the main point. The second one, thematic investing is a specific market approach, a transversal approach that brings meaning and diversification to our clients. That's the second point, which is very interesting as well. And the third one, this success has been also supported by the ESG profile of most of our themes. Or today, if we speak about the themes, the European themes, I would like to speak about the aging one. And we think that this aging theme remains relevant for investors because it has been one of the big winners of this sanitary crisis thanks to its strong exposure to the healthcare dimension. But this theme should be a medium and, or, and perhaps a long-term winner as well, as the theme should be supported by significant investment, publics and private, in the months and the years to come. So, I would like to say that thematic investing remains popular, and we can find here some very interesting themes in the European environment, the European region. But if I if I uh, if I listen you well, you are pointing out in the aging uh, thematic that you manage uh, for some time already, uh, health uh, sector. Health sector is more growth oriented sector. Um, how do you benefit from this uh, value rotation or this risky assets rotation that we are seeing in the European equity market uh, currently? Uh, thank you, Thierry, because it's a very good question. How can we benefit from value rotation when we are growth-oriented? Um, first, I would like to speak about our investment universe. Our DNA uh, within thematic investing or thematic equities is to create strong and resilient investment universes. And this is a secret within these investment universes is to be focused but diversified enough at the same time. So speaking about the aging population theme in Europe, you're right. It's mainly about growth because this is a growth-oriented theme because the investment universe definition is skewed towards growth sectors like pharmaceuticals, healthcare equipment, or well-being. Um, but the beauty, the beauty of our thematic investment universe is to be broad enough to cope with different market profiles. So we can adapt 
our portfolio to a more cyclical or more value environment by reallocating our position on some pocket of value, financials with insurance companies, on the automobile sector, or even on some part of the leisure sector, like the tourism or airlines, hotels, cruises, they are cyclical and value sectors today. So the beauty of the investment universe regarding the aging population theme in Europe is that it is diversified enough to cope with this new environment, this new market profile, which is more cyclical and more value-oriented right now. Thank you, Estelle. So you are sharing with Casper the, the active part of our investment processes. Huh? So we understand from what you are saying that uh, agility and uh, benefiting from uh, volatility and market opportunity will be what you will be looking at. We are now moving to Sylvain Brouillard uh, and uh, and uh, the smart beta and uh, and uh, the passive uh, from the smart beta and passive team. Sylvain, tell us uh, about uh, how these strategies um, behave in the current uh, environment and in the current outlook expectation uh, that we have on on, uh, on markets. Right. Uh, globally speaking, uh, I would say that smart beta and uh, factor investing strategies uh, perform quite well uh, in relative terms uh, since the beginning of this year and uh, especially during uh, March, uh, April uh, turmoil uh, when they have uh, succeeded in reducing significantly uh, the drawdown and then prove uh, resilience during these uh, challenging markets. Uh, now, uh, moving forward, uh, we then believe that these strategies uh, could be a perfect match uh, for complementary and diversifying European equity exposures, uh, in addition to very uh, active strategy, uh, strategies, such as described by Casper uh, and Estelle. Uh, we do think it could be a very good uh, diversification. Uh, and why uh, we, do, we do think so? Uh, it's because uh, equity factors, uh, which uh, exhibit uh, different payoffs and performance patterns over time, uh, should really offer a good ground for diversification and help delivering consistent performances in the long term. We know that it was really good described by by Casper in his introduction. Uh, we know that the recovery is here, uh, but uh, it will be very shaky. Uh, we don't see exactly what will be the future. So to have a hedge uh, with a very conservative approach uh, could make sense uh, in addition to very uh, active strategies. Uh, and more specifically, uh, when I speak about a hedge, uh, I would like to speak about minimum variance or a conservative approach. Um, and this flagship really uh, delivers its promise, meaning uh, reducing the market drawdown. Uh, and it was uh, very significant during March and April. Uh, we significantly overperformed the benchmark in this period, while uh, succeeding in participating in hub markets, uh, like in the recovery in May and June. And uh, in this context, of uh, it will be very challenging. Uh, we think that uh, this kind of, of strategies, uh, which could be defined by high-quality stocks, low leverage, low volatility, and a very strong uh, diversified profile 
should help to get through a turmoil phases uh, while still offering leeway for upmarket participation. And maybe to conclude a few a few figures on of on this kind of uh, strategies. Uh, what are the profile of these strategies? Uh, just to give you a few figures, uh, out of 139 competitors from Mercer's Broad Europe, including UK Equity Universe, over five years, these kind of uh, strategies uh, ranked first quartile in terms of return and sharp ratio, and fourth quartile, but at the end, which is the best, in terms of volatility and max drawdown. Thank you, thank you, Sylvain, for sharing that. Uh, uh, here we touch a point which is extremely in important, in my view, is that yes, we see uh, uh, this shift uh, towards a risky asset. Yes, we see this shift uh, towards uh, value, but uh, balanced portfolio uh, are uh, always uh, fashionable because volatility, uh, as we said, uh, uh, will uh, will remain. There is something which is uh, there is a trend in the, in, uh, in market in the market that I, I want to share with you which is the, the observation that we can have on the ETF flows uh, that are uh, probably the emerged part of the investment, but uh, also the more tactical part of the investment. Can you share quickly with us, Sylvain, some figures on uh, market behavior on, uh, on ETF flows, please? Yeah, right. Um, after stronger flows, uh, uh, which was, uh, were quite uh, logical uh, in March, April, uh, we do observe uh, currently a strong renewed appetite for equities. Uh, during the last months of June, uh, it was about 5 billion uh, euro invested into uh, uh, equi uh, ETF equities. And uh, of course, European equities have uh, seen a huge inflows uh, during this period. So really, uh, uptrend uh, flows for European equities uh, on ETF. Uh, in terms of uh, sectors, uh, it's more cyclical sectors uh, which have seen uh, recovery in terms of flows, so meaning materials, financials, and also risk on factors such as size and momentum. So everything validates the turn in sentiment Uh, mentioned by uh, all participants since the beginning of this uh, of this call. What is uh, also really interesting is uh, the, the the turmoil of market didn't cancel the big rotation through uh, ESG. Uh, it was mentioned also by Esther. Uh, ESG is really key for us, uh, for uh, Amundi, and we do see in the market a real appetite for uh, ESG ETF and whatever the methodology. And what we, what we really uh, have observed uh, since the beginning of this year, it, it, when it was time to reduce equities uh, through ETF, it has been done uh, with uh, what we call the plain vanilla exposure, so Europe, US equities. And when uh, it's time to re-enter in the equity markets, the investors are discussing about ESG and uh, equities. So we have, as in Amundi, uh, ESG is really uh, in our DNA. We have on a daily basis discussions with clients about ETF ESG, methodology, exclusions, optimization, and also climate consideration. So real trend in ETF ESG and climate. And just to give you a few, a few figures, huh? Uh, since the beginning of this year, we have minus 1 billion still in equities. 
despite the recovery in June. So minus 1 billion. It can be broken down into plus 11 billion for ETF ESG and minus 12 for non-ESG ETF for equity. So massive rotation. That means that right now, the market share for ESG ETF is 7.7%, while it was 5.3% at the very beginning of this year. So as a conclusion, strong inflows into equities, ETF equities, strong inflows into European ETF equities, but mainly on ESG uh, ETF equities. Thank you, Sylvain. If I, if I, if I want to do a, so, a small wrap up of this, uh, of this call, we've tried to, uh, welcome you on this journey, uh, in our, uh, in our uh, European equity expertise, uh, through these two axes that I've mentioned in my, uh, in my introduction. So the recovery axis and the risk appetite axis. Um, and if you want to position uh, our expertise uh, along these two axes, you will have the conservative strategies on the low end part of the of the of the axis, so uh, low recovery, low risk appetite, uh, to the upper trend of the of the axis, which is which is small and mid cap and value in investing, so strong risk appetite and uh, strong. Uh, um, recovery uh, expectation, and along these two these two axes, you have our expertise, and you have this uh, big ESG trend, uh, which is clearly a, a trend which is not only on equity but on the overall investment uh, community, but where we have also our our uh, words to say in uh, in this uh, on the, on the topic. Um, I don't know, Casper, uh, um, if you want to to give a, a word of conclusion before we, we leave uh, the call? Yes. Thank you, Thierry. I mean, the, so the overall tone is a cautious one. Investors should be aware that this cycle is fragile and keep a moderate risk exposure. But I think what we are discussing here is relative value opportunities uh, and some of the dislocations that uh, benefits from the, the defreezing of the economic cycle. And within this context, uh, we have this tactical call for, for Europe. And it is really underpinned by the, the, the pandemic, which increasingly appears to be under control, first point. Second point, the cyclical recovery that is underway uh, between April and June, the uh, the PMIs saw the biggest uh, rise on record, so we're in the middle of it. Uh, point number three, the, the policy response from monetary and fiscal authorities has been significant, much higher than the great financial crisis, and we expect a high multiplier on, on, on this. Point number four, the geopolitical risk that appears to be easing in Europe relative to the rest of the world. And the final point on valuation, we have a good starting point in Europe. European equities are relatively attractively valued. So I think that sort of concludes our, our tactical call. Thank you, Casper. Thank you all for attending uh, this uh, conversation and uh, looking forward to seeing you uh, soon. Thank you very much. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004.
2004 on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.